If you're an accredited investor looking for an incredible opportunity to invest your money, I have exactly what you're looking for. I have put together a fund where we are loaning money to fix and flip investors for their investment properties. And I'm looking for investors right now. We provide steady income for our investors. We are focused on capital preservation. We have minimum target of returns that we plan on giving back to our investors. And this opportunity is incredible. Like I said, this fund is lending to the best of the best. And we're looking for people to come aboard and be investors and go along for the ride as this thing grows. I'm super excited about it. Right now, we're only talking to accredited investors. So if that's you and you want more information, reach out to me at mike at juststartrealestate.com and I will get you all the information. Guys, this fund is amazing and we are so different from everybody else. And one of the biggest differences, we don't just lend money to anybody. Anybody who comes along with an application doesn't get money from us. You have to have a track record. We have to know that your business is strong and healthy. And that's who we lend to because our commitment to our investors is that we will protect their money and we will give them consistent, reliable returns. Guys, if you're interested in this and you want to come along on that journey with me and my company, reach out to me now, mike at juststartrealestate.com. I cannot wait to talk to you. I don't have I don't have a lot of worries. And I don't have a lot of worries because I'm completely plugged in to the market. I have a lot of people in my network that are plugged into the market around the country. And so my biggest worry is for something to happen that I'm not prepared for. You're listening to the Just Start Real Estate Podcast. If you're serious about your real estate investing business and need real answers, you are in the right place. And now, your host, Mike Simmons. All right, thank you for joining me on Just Start Real Estate. I appreciate you being here. I appreciate your time. Uh, guys, you know, every Thursday, I bring you the audio from my live Facebook Q&A that I do every week because I get such great questions and such good interaction. If you're not on that live Q&A, you really should be. Uh, I get tons of great questions and really have a good time talking to the folks. And uh, I, I thought after I had done this for a few weeks, like, wow, why don't I bring that to the podcast? I think you guys could really benefit from hearing those conversations and those questions. So that's exactly what I do. But it happens live every Wednesday at 7 p.m. Eastern Time and 4 p.m. Pacific. So you can log on to Just Start Real Estate on Facebook uh, on those days and times, and you can uh, participate live, which I think is awesome and a lot of fun. Uh, we had a really great conversation uh, for this episode. Uh, people asked me, uh, basically, how do you have your phone person, the person who takes in your leads, how do you have that not become a super long, non-productive conversation, which is really good training for your, for your lead intake person? Uh, how do you separate from a business partner? I have had to do this in the past. It's uncomfortable, but uh, there's some some things you can do there to make it less horrible. Um, uh, also, uh, finding funding for your deals. Like, how, how do you fund your deals? What's the best way to fund your deals? So um, really good questions about talking to sellers and motivated sellers and how do you do that? So this was a fun one, guys. And uh, we, had a, we had a good time answering the question. So I give you, without any further ado, my, my latest Facebook Q&A session. All right, guys, we are live on Facebook. Thank you for joining me again this week for my weekly Q&A that starts always on Wednesdays at 7 p.m. Eastern time, 4 p.m. Pacific. 
Uh, I am going to be, uh, you guys are going to be loading up here pretty soon. I am going to click in here so I can see when you guys log out and ask me questions. Uh, last week, we had a lot of activity. So hopefully you guys are going to jump on again and uh, and ask questions. So uh, I just, uh, I'm on like a little bit of a high here. I just <laughs> I just got off of the the uh, the weekly uh, call with my uh the folks that are in my my program, the uh, Business Fast Track Blueprint, uh, that launched a couple of weeks ago. We just had our second uh, live um, uh, time together there. I, I, we do it every Wednesday right before this call, and it went a little long, so I kind of jumped off of there, jumped right onto here. Uh, we had it was a great call. We had tons of great questions, but um, went through everything A to Z in my business, how I run my business, how I hire people, why I hire people, uh, the processes in my business, the numbers that I hold my team accountable to, what that looks like, like really just laid out the business from end to end for them and and shared all of the, the details and all the uh, tools and things that I use in my business, uh, shared with them so a spreadsheet that I use, and I'm going to be uploading more to the portal for them and just giving them basically the entire business. So uh, we had a great time. We just got done with that. So I'm like, on this uh, this high of, of uh, talking to those guys and they're all like super stoked. They're getting their business started. Some of them already have a business. They're growing it and scaling it to the next level. So we're helping with all that stuff. And it was just a blast. So I had a good time, but I am happy to be here with you guys. Happy to be answering your questions for this week. Um, by the way, if you're interested in that program that I just described uh, that launched a few weeks ago, it will be relaunching again at the end of summer. If you go to uh, business fast track blueprint.com. That's business fast track blueprint.com. You can uh, hop on there. You can get in line to be uh, eligible to be in the next round. I would love to see you there. If you weren't able to make the first round, I would love to see you in the second round. And we are currently uh, uh, letting people fill applications for that. So uh, go check it out. If you're interested, I would love to be able to lay my business out for you too. give you all the tools that I use, all the inside uh, tips and tricks that I use to build my company and all the things I learned along the way. So lots to be learned there. But tonight it's about you guys and it's about diving into your questions. You sent them to me as you always do. Hopefully, uh, you guys will be logging on here and asking me some questions live. Uh, I actually invited some people from the program to come on here if they wanted to and also dive in and get involved in the fun. So we may see some of them on here. But in the meantime, I'm going to go through... Actually, we had a question from Nathan last week. I don't know if Nathan's logged on yet or if he's going to be here, but... He asked a question that actually I, I didn't even see it until after I had uh, shut down uh, the live for last week. So I'm going to take that now. Uh, Nathan asked me, and I believe we were on the topic of dispositions when he asked. So Nathan asked me last week, how do you handle or whittle down your list? And if I remember correctly, he was talking about buyer's list because that's where we were, that's what we were talking about. How do you whittle down your list? Dot, dot, dot the people that ask 10 questions for half an hour and never buy any deals. So it's almost, there's almost two questions here. Number one, I always try to give you guys, because I've been, I, this has been pointed out to me that I, I sometimes answer long-winded and then I give you a, a short answer. And, and I'm gonna give you the short answer first. The way to whittle down your list, assuming you're using some sort of email uh, management software or email marketing software like Aweber or MailChimp, you can go in and you can scrub those lists based off of people who haven't, for example, opened up your email in a while. You can, you can delete anybody who's like inactive basically on your list. Now that won't help Nathan with his question necessarily, but that's how you whittle down a list from an email marketing service like Aweber or MailChimp. You can go in, 
you know, um, filter, filter the list of anybody who hasn't opened up a mail piece from you in say six months and you can delete them. So that's how you whittle it down. But for somebody who's asking 10 questions for a half an hour and, and they're doing it all the time, you can't whittle your list necessarily automated because um, as far as like AWeber or MailChimp is concerned, they're an active buyer on your list. So you they, it wouldn't necessarily do that. You can certainly go in and delete them off of your list if you want. Like this person who's asking 10 questions, <coughs> you can delete them off your list and they just won't see anything from you anymore. But really, this is a this is a people management question more than it's a list size or list whittling question. It's people management. If there's some, and I don't take these calls anymore, but if I did, if there was someone who called me and took up a half an hour of my time and never bought a deal, it's like first time, shame on them. The next 10 times, shame on you. If if someone you pick up the phone and it's Joe Smith and Joe Smith always just has a hundred questions, but he never buys anything. I would literally say to Joe Smith, Hey, listen, um, I'm super busy. I, I don't have a lot of time. I don't know that you're very serious. Uh, you've never bought anything from me before. And I've spent a lot of time answering questions for you. The marketing piece that I put out should have all the information you need to make an educated decision of whether or not you want to go see the property or whether or not you want to make an offer. Um, so please utilize the email and or make an appointment with me to see the property when I do a, a showing, and then you can go and check out the property for yourself. But uh, I got to reserve my time for people on my list who are, who are active, who are purchasing properties. Now, that may sound difficult to say, but you're trying to protect your time. A half an hour of your time for someone who never, ever buys and they just take up a lot of your time, you've got to cut that off. So some people handle that more abruptly. Some people handle it more diplomatically, but you have to handle it. You have, because at some point it's your fault that they're taking half an hour of your time. It's not theirs. Like, you know, they'll just, if they're going to call you and ask questions for a half an hour, they don't respect their own time, obviously. So you have to respect your time and you have to cut that off. You have to stop it and nip in the bud and say, you know, hopefully you're sending out emails and that's how he, he or she found you. But just say, Hey, if the email is not answering your questions, you can shoot me an email. Why don't you email me with these questions and I'll answer them that way. And then that kind of gives you a little bit more free, uh, freedom to answer it when you have time. Um, and it keeps you from just wasting time on the phone with someone who isn't really serious about buying. But I would, I would cut it off and tell them either, you know, get the information from the email or shoot me a text or not a text actually, because that's bad news too. Shoot me an email with your questions, all of them at one time. And I'll, I'll answer them or have somebody on my team answer them for you. That's what I would do. You have to take control of your time. If somebody's not, not respecting you, you have to respect that time and do something about it. Okay. Next question is what is the best way to separate from a business partner? Um, soon, the sooner, the better. Uh, it's, it's definitely not something that if you're going to separate from a business partner, it doesn't get better with time. It usually gets more complicated and a little bit more um, combative, you know, the longer it goes. I say if it's going to have to happen and you know it has to happen, I would try to make it as fast as possible. Do it soon. Um, you know, there's a lot of, there's legalities here. If you guys are like literally, like literally 50, 50 partners, like you might have to buy somebody out. What does that look like? You know, what is the revenue? Is there some debt in the company that somebody has to take over or take part of like, you know, like from a legal sense, that's, that's a question for a lawyer, but in general, the philosophically do it fast. Don't wait, don't put it off. Don't, think it's going to change. If you know, it's not going to change, like do it now, do it fast because as time goes on, those situations do not resolve themselves or end up getting better. Usually it ends up getting a lot worse, you know, because if, if it needs to happen, 
there's a good chance you know it needs to happen. There's a halfway decent chance they at least suspect it needs to happen. And so feelings are going to get hurt, you know, at a greater uh, level and intensity the longer you wait. So do it fast. Um, figure out what it is that has to be separated in, in some kind, in some real estate, you know, like if you have a bunch of rentals, like your company buys rentals or, or, or multifamily and the company owns it and you're 50, 50 partners, like that can get really, really hairy. That's really ugly, right? There's a lot of assets in the company. In my company, I'm more of a wholesaling company. And so we get properties. We never really own them. Or if we do, we own them for a couple of days and then we, we, we sell them to somebody. So there's not like, and we don't have a physical office anymore. We're all totally virtual. So there aren't any assets. I mean, theoretically, my business partner and I could just say, you want to, you want to just do our own thing and stop being partners and go, yep. Yep. And then we could pretty much be done. Like it wouldn't be a whole lot to untangle. That's oversimplifying it. There'd be a few things to talk about for sure. But in general, we don't have a ton of assets, but if you like own, commercial buildings and multifamily and a bunch of single family houses. And, you know, your, your company has all these assets on the book. Like now you have to talk about it. It's a totally different story. And that's more of a lawyer question, but in general, I, just do it now. Like, don't wait, do it fast. Tell, talk to the person, be upfront, be honest. It's going to probably suck. It's going to be like ripping off a bandaid, but I say do it sooner rather than later. So you can mitigate, reduce that, that whole, uh, you know, legal ugliness that could potentially arise if you wait. Okay. Next question. Uh, when it comes, boy, we're flying through these. When it comes to, well, I say we, that's me, right? I'm, I'm answering them. I'm flying through these. Uh, when it comes to the real estate market, what's your biggest current worry? Um, I don't have, I don't have a lot of worries, and I don't have a lot of worries because I'm completely plugged in to the market. I have a lot of people in my network that are plugged into the market around the country, and so. My biggest worry is for something to happen that I'm not prepared for. And I don't think that's going to happen because I am plugged in. I do have a lot of, uh, I have a big network around the country that, that helps me stay plugged in. And also I'm not involved in the kind of real estate that typically will get you in some kind of trouble if you're caught in a market that's changing fast. Because as a wholesaler, primarily my, my deal life cycle is like a month, maybe two, sometimes just a few weeks. So for me, the market's not going to change fast enough for me to get caught in any weird way. And because I don't typically take ownership of a lot of the properties that I deal with, like as a wholesaler, you're, you're wholesaling, right? You're, you're, you're putting a property in a contract, you're assigning the contract, it goes to closing, you get paid. I never really own it. So it would be extremely difficult for me to get caught in a bad situation as a wholesaler. Um, if you're flipping properties, you're probably not in, a, in an extreme danger. If you're at least kind of paying attention, following podcasts like mine, you're in Facebook forums, like you, you're building a network out of people that are kind of talking about the state of the market because a flipper usually is in a flip on an average flip, you know, four to six months from start to finish. So it's really not a huge danger. It's the folks who are doing development, right? Who are, who are developing big projects that take 18 months or 24 months or 36 months. Those are the people that end up sometimes being like exposed. They have a high level of exposure when the market changes. So if you're in that situation, if I was in that situation, if I was like a developer of subdivisions or, you know, a big land developer, I would be nervous whenever the market was fluctuating, like that would scare me because that's how a lot of people went out of business. But if you're a wholesaler, if you're a flipper, 
if you're a buy and hold investor, I don't think a lot's going to change for you, honestly. Um, as you know, prices are rising right now in most areas, even if they're leveling off, they're, they're really, really strong. When the market starts going the other way and it becomes more of a buyer's market, you just have to be careful not to pay too much for houses. Even if you're just flipping them six months later, like you don't want to, to, to buy too high. Obviously, you got to start buying lower. But as the market changes, what ends up happening is the media scares the heck out of everybody and starts telling them your property is going to be worthless soon. And you know they, they over-exaggerate. It's like the media's goal, and not to make this political, but I think everyone generally agrees, the media's job is to like get eyeballs on them and to Sometimes it's to over-sensationalize what's going on. They, they always have. And so, uh, you know, back in the like 08, 09, when I got involved in real estate, they were yelling like, you know, basically the message was real estate bad, run from real estate, don't invest in real estate, don't buy real, like, real estate bad. But that's exactly when you should have been buying real estate because the house prices had crashed. Like they were at an all-time low. And the media just knows what's happening right now. They know how they feel right now. And there's a pain point with, with, with real estate and people were going into foreclosure and it's like real estate bad, but that's only part of the story. Real estate bad. If you bought a house, you couldn't afford and you were in a variable mortgage, a variable rate mortgage and your mortgage adjusted and you couldn't afford the actual mortgage payments as they should have been, then you were losing your house. So real estate bad for you, right? Real estate bad. But if you're an investor and you're looking to pick up houses like for pennies on the dollar, real estate good. So for an investor, real estate was at a, was at a great point for, for an investor. Okay. So the media usually reflects what's happening to the, the majority of the population, which is fair, right? They're, they're talking to the majority. And for the majority of the population, Right now, real estate's great. And that's true if you're selling your house. But if you want to buy a house, it's not great. If you're an investor, it's a little bit tough to find deals right now. It's not possible. Of course, they're out there. But you have to know where you are. You have to know it's tough to find deals. And you have to adjust your, your offers accordingly. When the, when the market changes, you have to adjust your offer. So it's not like I'm worried or you should be worried about the market. You should be worried if you're ignoring the market. You should be worried if you're ignorant of what's happening in the market. Then you should be worried. But if you're paying attention and you're trying to follow and you understand what market cycle we're in, there's nothing to be worried of. It's just, it's just the market. It just changes, right? Is the weather good or bad? Depends. Do you like cold weather? Well, when it's cold, the, the, the weather's good to you. If you hate the cold, the weather's bad. So it's not weather isn't good or bad. It's just knowing that it's cold so you can dress appropriately, knowing that it's hot so you can dress appropriately. The market isn't good or bad, the, the, real, the real estate market. It's just how do you dress for the, for the weather in the market? Okay, next question. Um, what is your recommendation? I'm sorry, what is your recommended way of finding funding for real estate deals. I'm struggling to find hard money and getting money from banks is getting harder and harder. Getting money from banks is not, getting money from a bank is good in some cases, especially if you have a W-2 and you make good money and you have low, low uh, um, debt to income. If you, if you have a really favorable debt to income and you make good money and you have a good credit score, banks can be a good way to go, especially for rentals early on. You know, Banks will usually finance up to like eight or 10 rentals. I, I don't know what the number is right now, but let's just say it's 10. They'll finance up to 10 rentals for you. And that's a great way to go when you're buying rentals. If When I flipped my first house, I did it with a, with a mortgage loan. Like I got a mortgage for the house and I just used my money for the renovation. So it's fine, but banks are, banks are a hassle. And as you start growing in real estate and you start building your business, I don't know 
I don't, I don't really know any investors who are like kind of been doing it for a while and they're successful who are using banks to finance their deals. They're all using hard money and private money. And so you said you had a hard time finding hard money. Hard money is hard to find if the deals that you're trying to fund are not good. So hard money lenders, the beautiful thing about a hard money lender is they will typically fund deals based on the strength of the deal itself. They don't usually care, a lot of them anyways, don't care about your credit score and your income. They care about the deal. And so when you're a new investor, going to a hard money lender can sometimes be a nice a nice way to insulate yourself from making really bad mistakes. Because if you get a deal under contract or you, you want to buy something and you send it to a hard money lender and they reject it and say that they won't lend on it because they don't like the loan to value, well, you might want to take another look at that deal. You might have misread it or miscalculated, or you just might be totally wrong. It might not be a good deal. And maybe you would lose money even if you were to were to actually get funding for that. So hard money lenders are going to usually take a fairly conservative approach. And they're going to be really, really careful that they're only lending on really good deals. And so it's a good way sometimes if you can't find hard money, it's possible that the deal that you're trying to fund is really not good. But if it's not even that, like some, you might, maybe the, the deal is they just won't even lend to you, period. Like regardless of what the deal looks like, they won't lend to you. That means that there's a good chance they're looking at your, you, they're looking at you as an individual. They're looking at your credit. They're looking at your debt to income and all that kind of stuff. And they're deeming you a bad risk. Okay. In that case, you just need to look for a different hard money lender because there's plenty of hard money lenders out there that don't care about you as an individual in terms of your debt to income and your credit, they care about the deal. So in other words, if you wanted to buy a property that you were going to flip, and let's just say the ARV, the after repair value for that property is $500,000. And let's just say for the sake of this demonstration to use an extreme example, it's worth $500 after it's fixed up, you can buy it for $100,000 and it only needs $50,000 worth of work. Okay. I don't think if those numbers are accurate, let's just say you're, you're right. It's worth 500 when it's fixed up. Let's just say you're right. It will only take 50,000 to renovate it. And you can get it under contract for a hundred thousand. Let's just say all those numbers are hundred percent accurate. Every hard money lender on earth will fund that deal. Okay. That's an that's, that's example. That's a little bit extreme. Usually deals aren't quite that sweet, but any hard money lender would fund that deal. Okay. You could th- just throw that contract up into the wind and the first contractor that, you know, it's smacked against their face, they would fund it. So it's not, it's not that the money isn't out there. It's either you're looking at, at someone who isn't necessarily set up to lend to an investor like a bank. They're not necessarily the most lender friendly. A lot of times, sometimes local banks and credit unions are a little better, but in, in general, those, those traditional lending institutions are not necessarily set up for investors like us. Hard money lenders are set up for people like us. Hard money lenders care about the deal. So if you get a good enough deal, almost any hard money lender will fund it. They just will. If you bring them a a marginal deal or a deal that's very subjective in terms of whether or not it makes sense, then you might be a little tougher. You might have to look a little harder, but I would say work on finding a great deal. The hard money lender should be easy to find. So um, going back to the question, let me look at it again. So the way I find deals, I, I would say if you're new, you're starting off, I think hard money is an absolute great way to go. Um, there's a company called Lending Home that I know is really, really good. Uh, I started a lending company back last year, hard money lending company uh, called Blitzar Capital. You can go and check that out. Um, I'm, in, I'm, I'm raising money. The demand of the money that I have is greater than the, the money available. So right now I may not have it for you if you wanted it, but um, I would be an option for you down the road for sure. Um, so you can go to me, Blitzar Capital. 
lendinghome.com uh, or go to lending home. They, they're always good. Um, but that's what I would do. And then long-term, I, 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 will, I have a hard money lending company, but I tell people long-term, you should always be trying to raise private money as well because private money is great because usually the hassle factor is super low and the terms are whatever it is that you want you know, whatever you can agree upon or whatever you can negotiate with that private money lender, it, that's what it is. Like with me, I've got rates that I'm not going to change for you. And Lending Home has rates. They're not going to change for you. Like they have structured rates and a structured process. And that's what you have to deal with. With a private money lender, it could just be somebody with a couple hundred thousand dollars sitting in the bank and an IRA or self-directed IRA, or maybe just in cash in the bank. And you say, hey, I want to borrow your money. What kind of interest rate are you getting on it now? Oh, you know, nothing. It's sitting in the bank. I'd be happy to get five or 6%. And you go, great, I'll give you five or 6%. And then you write it up and you get the money. Like it can be that easy, right? It could be the rates and terms can be whatever you negotiate with that person. So private money is like, that's the crown jewel. That's, that's, that's the brass ring that you're going for. But along the way, as you're, as you're building up your experience and your reputation and your track record, hard money lending might be the best route for you. That might be the best way to go. Because again, hard money lenders care about the deal. They don't care about you so much. Okay. Next question. Um, do I need to get my realtor's license? Is it better to be a realtor when starting a real estate investing business? No, you don't need your realtor's license. It's not better to be a realtor when starting your real estate business. I've been a real estate, real estate since 08. I've closed over 600 transactions, my company, and I don't have a realtor's license. Now, caveat, my partner has a realtor's license. Um, I, I have access to the MLS because I need to be able to comp properties effectively, but I am not a realtor and I don't need to be. So if you can have a great relationship with a realtor that can help you with those comps or give you access to the means of comping properties, whatever that means, um, then you don't need to be. I, I think when I, when people ask me this, my answer is always, no, you don't need to be one, but you need access to the MLS. In my opinion, you need access to the MLS. You don't need to know someone with access. You need access. And so I'm not going to go any further than that because I know realtors are not necessarily allowed to share their logins. But if you can become an assistant for a realtor friend and get an assistance login access, um, that's a way to go. So get access to the MLS. And if you're like, you know what, I don't want to make relationships with realtors and rely on them and their, their MLS access, like, forget it. I'm just going to be a realtor so I can get access. Fine. Become a realtor, but get access. Whether that means you're a realtor or you know a realtor who will give you that access or whatever, get access to the MLS. That's the bottom line. If that means you have to become a realtor, then become a realtor. But for anything other than the MLS, in my opinion, there is no reason to be a realtor. None. I just don't think there is. And I'm sure there's realtors out there who will listen to this, who will argue with me. That's fine. We can argue. I won't even argue. As a matter of fact, don't even bother. I've had this argument a million times. You don't need to be a realtor, but you need to access to the MLS. Okay. Next question. I talked to a handful of sellers, but can't seem to convince them to sell to me. What am I doing wrong? What you're doing wrong is you're trying to convince them to sell to you. you. You should not have to convince a seller to sell to you. You should, when you go in and talk to a seller to, to potentially buy their house, if you're going in there thinking, how do I convince this person to sell to me on any level, even if it's like subconsciously, you're probably not going to get the deal or you're not going to get the deal very often. Because when you go in to talk to a seller, your number one goal is to figure out what their problem or their pain point is. That's number one. Number two, figure out how you can solve that pain point 
through real estate, through buying their house. And maybe it's a combination of through buying their house and maybe something else that they need. Um, for example, if you're, if you're talking to a seller and they're like, you know, I need to move because <clears throat> let's just say I need to move. My daughter lives in a different state. She's having a baby, uh, her and her husband divorced. She needs help. I desperately need to get there to help her within the next month. Like that's critical to me. I need to get there immediately to help her. She needs help. She's, you know, in trouble, whatever. Right. So now there's this, this speed part that she, that the person needs the, the seller, husband, wife, whatever they have a speed component. So you can solve that by saying, Mr. Mrs. Seller, I can, I can help you with that. I can buy your house and I can close in the next four weeks. No problem. And they're like, well, you know, also <clears throat> I have no way of, um, of once I sell the house, I have, I, know I got so much stuff in this house. It's 50 years worth of stuff. I don't want any of it. Like, I don't, I can't clean it out. I don't have the means. I'm too old. I don't have the money to clean it out. Like, I, you go, okay, I tell you what, I'll buy the house for this price. If you can agree to it and tell you what, you can leave everything and I'll have it cleaned out. I'll have, I'll have a crew come in and we'll bring a dumpster and we'll, we'll clean it out. We'll take care of it for you. Right. So I solved the problem of getting them to their, to their son or daughter or whatever, to their, to their kid within a month by buying their house quickly. That was number one. And then their second pain point was, I don't know what I'm going to do with all this junk in my house, all this stuff. I don't want it. It's all junk and I don't want it. Right. So I took that off their plate. If I, if I only said, I'll buy your house at this, at this amount, you got to figure out what you're going to do with your own junk. I'm not dealing with your junk. I don't have that. I'm not a junk removal company. You might not get the deal because to them, the removal of this stuff is a big problem. They don't know how they're going to do it. Maybe they're you know older and they just don't, they're not in good health. Like they, they don't have anybody local to help, but like, they don't know what they're going to do. So just by me saying, I'll, I will remove everything for you. I'll take care of that. You can walk away from this house as is. Don't even worry. You just take what you want. I'll buy your house. You go be with your son or daughter and, and I got the rest of it, right? That's solving a problem. Through solving the problem, we have to present an offer that makes sense for us financially. But it becomes a little bit easier conversation when you identify the pain point, you address it and solve it. And then you talk about buying their house. That's how you buy houses. That's how you buy properties. That's how you deal with sellers. It's not convincing them because the minute you start trying to convince them that they should sell to you, you might as well leave. You're not, you're probably not going to get anywhere because you've created a, a negotiation that you don't want to create. When the price of the house becomes the number one concern for that seller, the number one one thing that they care about is the price that they get. You're probably not going to buy it anyway, because for the most part, people can put it on the MLS. They can go to a real, they can get more than you're going to pay them. The only reason you're going to buy that house is because they have circumstances that make it more conducive to them to selling to you than going through the MLS. Even to the point that I, me and my team will go out of our way sometimes to deter someone from selling it to us, or we at least make it appear that way. We may walk in the house and say, Mr. Mrs. Seller, your house is beautiful. You should list it on the MLS. You'll get way more than I can give you, right? Feels scary. You just told them to go somewhere else, but they've already thought of that. Most times they've already thought of that. They, they know they can go to the MLS. They know they can call a realtor, but they need to sell within the next two weeks, or they know that their roof is leaking, or they know that their furnace doesn't work anymore and they can't sell a house with a furnace that doesn't work to somebody off the MLS because a mortgage won't finance a house that doesn't function properly, right? So they may know the house has repairs that 
preclude them from selling it on the MLS, or they have a speed component or a timing component that is the most important thing to them. And believe me, I've bought hundreds of houses from people who needed to sell fast. And the, the price that they got was a distant second to selling fast. Just the way it works. So don't try to convince people. Okay, next, uh, let's see, question. I know you had Gino Wickman on your podcast. Do you use his traction EOS system for your company? Can you talk about pros, of con pros and cons if so? Yes, I do. And as a matter of fact, uh, I said at the top of this hour, the top of this um, conversation that I just got off the uh, the weekly call with my team and my program. And we spent basically the better part of an uh, better part of two hours talking about EOS and how I implement that my company, exactly how I implement it, all of the steps, all of the KPIs, all the metrics, all the strategies and all the things that I do. Um, so if you really want that laid out for you in a comprehensive way, it's, it's hard to do it in this conversation, but go to businessfasttrackblueprint.com. Go check it out. I, I, we'll get it for you there. But to answer your question, uh, I do use Traction, the EOS um, that is called the Entrepreneur Operating System for my company. Uh, I, there aren't any cons necessarily. I, I think it's all pros. It's just how, how closely do you follow it? I follow it pretty closely. You can follow it to the letter, to the point that you actually hire someone to come in and implement the system in your company and then come to quarterly meetings and hold you accountable. Um, that works for some people. That's exactly what we do in the Seven Figure Flipping Mastermind. We have an implementer that comes in and literally like polices the whether or not we're we're actually implementing and using EOS to its full extent, right? We we pay someone to come in and do that for us. In my real estate company, we follow EOS a little bit more loosely, but we still follow the basic strategies, right? Vision, casting a vision for the for the company, having KPIs like tracking metrics, bringing in the right people, putting them in the right seat on the bus, making sure they're the right person, the right seat, that they get it, they want it, they have the capacity to do it, right? All these things. We hold weekly meetings, we have issues lists, we have quarterly meetings, we do rocks, which are like rocks are like 90-day uh, projects that an individual in the company takes on that is designed to get you closer to your yearly goal. So to answer your question, 100%. I, I think the EOS system uh, that's outlined in the book Traction by Gina Wickman is absolutely phenomenal. I highly recommend for anybody, whether you're brand new to real estate and just getting started, or you already have a business, because I think it will do one or two things. If you're new, it's going to help you build a foundation that's built for success. And if you're already up and running and you've been doing this for a while, but you haven't been following any sort of a system, or you don't really have this a great process for running your company, it will help you put a process in place that will get you straightened out, get everyone rowing in the same direction, and really allow you to scale up your business effectively. So I think the EOS system is absolutely fantastic. I highly recommend it. If, you, if you've never read the book Traction, you should go, go get it, go read it. Okay, <clears throat> I think the last question here, we'll see. Uh, as a follow-up, I don't know what it's a follow-up on, but I guess we'll find out together. As a follow-up, do you hold the hold the weekly and very long quarterly meetings suggested as part of the system? It seems like a lot of meetings and possibly a waste of time. I hate meetings. Okay, that's my caveat. I do not like meetings in general. But yes, we do hold uh, the quarterly meetings. We have a weekly meeting that we do where we kind of go through any issues, kind of go through the process, go through what we're what's happening that week. Uh, people report a number. And then the quarterly meetings, yeah, we do do the quarterly meetings and they they can be very long. Like if you have a big company, 
you know, several employees, it's, it's a lot of times it's a two day meeting, at least a one day, but sometimes a two day meeting. If you have a much smaller company with maybe just you or you and one or two or three other people, it can just be a day, like an afternoon, you know, like 10 to five or something like you can, you can condense them a little bit, but it's important that you do them because it's sort of like anything. It's like, I want to, I want to, you know, I want to get big and muscular, but I don't like lifting weights. Like I don't, lifting weights seems like a, like being in the gym and, and lifting all those weights seems like a waste of time. Well, it, it is if you don't, unless you want to have muscles, right? So if you want to have a company that's well-run, stays on track, everyone is held accountable. Everyone understands the vision. You're hiring the right people. You're putting them in the right spot. You're working on things that get you closer to your one-year goal, which is getting you closer to your three-year goal, which is ultimately pointing toward your 10-year target. Like if that's what you want, then, then it's not a waste of time. But EOS doesn't uh, advocate for tons and tons of meetings. Like you have a weekly meeting and you have a quarterly meeting. Like that's not too big of a, of a, of a, of an ask. I don't think, I think if you're not having at least those meetings, you're probably not paying close enough attention to what's going on. So yeah, EOS is great. Um, I keep meetings to a minimum in my company. I, I just, I don't love meetings. I've, I was in corporate for 20 years and I've seen 20 years worth of meetings that went on way too long and people were just having meetings to have meetings. And I get that, but some meetings are, are important. And if you really you know, are worried about a meeting lasting too long or not getting, like people aren't getting to the point, take away the chairs. I've heard people have meetings standing up at a conference table or around, you know, some sort of like a, a water cooler or whatever, like have a meeting standing up. You'll find people are less willing to waste time when they have to stand for the whole meeting. So that's an option. You could try that. I think it, I would totally do it if I thought I had to do that. But what I tend to do is go, okay, how long does this meeting, how long do we think it has to be? Right. And then people, oh, an hour, hour and a half hour, probably should be an hour. And I go, let's do it in a half an hour. I just did that recently in my company. We had two meetings back to back that were one hour. And I said, we're going to switch to a half an hour meetings for these two. And we're getting it done, right? You have to keep moving along. You have to stay on, on track. But, um, you know, cut out meetings that are unnecessary, cut them out if they're unnecessary. But you need to have a weekly meeting with your team just to talk about what's happening, report out your, your basic numbers, and then a quarterly meeting to make sure you're on track for your yearly goal, right? It's at a minimum. So cut your meetings shorter or cut them out altogether if they're not helping. But I think some of them are important for sure. Um, guys, all that, that is like the super small cliff note version of what I just talked about for two hours with the business fast track blueprint. Folks, the people are in that program. If you want to check it out, I would love to see you in there. We're, we're covering all this at great length. And not only are we covering it, I am giving away the tools, the resources, the spreadsheets, all the things that I use, all the tools I use in my business to run the business that I've built over the last several years. I'm just giving it away to anybody in the program, right? So uh, I highly suggest you check it out. If you have any doubts that you're fully ready and capable to, to start that company or to scale it up, if you think you need any help at all, go check it out. I want to help you. I've been there. I know what you're going through. And I believe truly with 100% sincerity that I can give you what you need to take your business to the next level or get it off the ground if that's where you are. So go check it out. Business Fast Track Blueprint. There's another uh, program starting in about a month and a half. So go check it out. I'd love to see you inside that program. I'd love to help you out with your business. It's still not too late, guys. 2021, we're only halfway through it. You can absolutely make a huge, huge impact in your goals this year still, but you can't do it if you don't do something about it. Like don't sit around and keep wishing you could do it or thinking about doing it or beating yourself up because you're not doing it. Just do it, right? Just reach out to me. I want to help you. I'm here to help you. Go check it out. Businessfasttrackblueprint.com. <clears throat> also, we're going to be um, 
Next week, I will not be doing this q and I apologize. I'm going to be out of town. The uh, seven-figure flipping group that I am a uh, part of, we're meeting. It's in uh, uh, Park City, Utah. We're going to be meeting with a bunch of folks in the program, exchanging ideas, collaborating, having a great time for a couple of days. Uh, but I will be doing that next week. So I will not be here, but I'll be back the following week, 7 o'clock p.m. Eastern time. 4 p.m. Pacific. I want to see you guys here. I love answering your questions. And uh, in the meantime, go check out my program because I think you will absolutely love it if you choose to be a part of it. Uh, BusinessFastTrackBlueprint.com. Guys, I'll see you in a few weeks. We'll talk to you soon. All right. I hope you enjoyed that. Remember, I do these Q&As live on Facebook on Wednesdays at 7 p.m. Eastern, 4 p.m. Pacific. I hope you enjoyed this. Tune in next week for another installment of live Q&As answering your questions. Okay. Until next time.